Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kathy Ma. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And I'm Tony Uphoff. Hey there, and welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast. I'm Tony Uphoff. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you as it highlights the incredible capability and impact of the industrial sector when manufacturers and innovators come together to do good. We'll hear from four different stakeholders across three organizations who were all integral in bringing to life Project Diamond, which stands for Distributed, Independent, Agile Manufacturing on Demand. The project, which is the most significant effort of its kind, established the country's largest 3D printing marketplace and network to address the urgent need to accelerate companies' capabilities in the digital manufacturing age of Industry 4.0. Our first guest, Tom Kelly, is the CEO and Executive Director of Automation Alley, which is Michigan's Industry 4.0 Knowledge Center, and he oversees the program services designed to help businesses increase revenue, reduce costs, and manage strategic decisions during a time of rapid technological change. Tom first joined us back in February 2020, only a few weeks before COVID-19 hit, so he's certainly familiar with times of rapid change. Later in the episode, we'll also hear from Mike Cady at MarkForged, the additive manufacturing platform whose software was the key technology supporting Project Diamond, and from Melissa Brown and Noah Zelinsky of Avon Machining, a manufacturer that participated in the Project Diamond 3D printing network. So let's kick things off with Tom Kelly. Tom, first off, welcome back. I hope you have been managing through these rather crazy times uh, well, and uh, you know it's good good to see you, my friend. I have to say. Thank you, Tony, and it's and it's great to be back. And you know, it's we were joking that in February we were talking about we all need to pay attention to digital disruption and it's coming from manufacturing and you may observe it with Amazon and retail and you may be observing it in healthcare and all of a sudden, bam, COVID hit and the world did change overnight and everybody was forced to embrace digitalization. Uh, schools and children, uh, restaurants had to go to digital ordering and curbside pickup and everybody scrambled like crazy. But you know what? even through the pain of this COVID, this disruption is permanent. Everybody has been trained and educated what digital can do. And you know what I hear from mostly white collar friends is that, geez, Tom, we, we started working from home and we didn't even miss a beat. I mean, we had no idea we could even do this. And I get back hearing that too, Tony. Well, it's funny, Tom, I, I made the statement recently that Right now, companies are operating at 2030 customer expectations. And, and I, I came to that kind of semi-buzzy kind of statement just by being able to say the previous 10 years of digital e-commerce disruption in retail brought it to about 15% of the retail market. In the last 10 months, it jumped to 30%. So if you look at we gained 10 years in 10 months acceleration, and, and Tom, I think you're you're touching on something that's so critically important for our listeners to understand. You can't sit back and go, boy, those poor folks in retail. Yeah. This is every industry under the sun and certainly manufacturing is having its moment in time and the digital transformation across all aspects of manufacturing from your factory floor to your sales and marketing has, has really accelerated. And Tom, to a great extent, 
you know, Project Diamond is, is perhaps a path forward to, to help with that acceleration. Well, that, that's right, Tony. And, and as you said with the intro, Project Diamond is distributed, independent, agile, manufacturing on demand. And the project came about because Oakland County had come to us, the county that uh, Automation Alley is in. And that's in, that's in uh, Michigan, just, to, just for our listeners to, yeah. And it, and it happens to be a heavy uh, manufacturing county, uh, the, the wealthiest county, all kinds of good things happening in Oakland County. But we got hit really hard by COVID. And at the same time that the rest of the world was struggling with PPE and ventilator parts and all these things, you remember Ford and GM got big contracts to make ventilators. We proposed to Oakland County, why don't we build a 3D printing network that can handle this PPE surge and this ventilator part surge, because these are things we can do. And so that was the impetus to build out this network. And so what we did was, was we, we partnered with Oakland County, we used a little bit of federal CARES dollars, and we have now distributed 300 printers to 300 different manufacturers, all small, all agile, all independent, just as the, uh, as the name uh, implies. And what this allows us to do is one, fulfill the needs for emergency PPE or ventilator parts, which we know in a crisis, in the, in the fog of war, so to speak, it's what you needed then, but we know we're not gonna need that now. But that was the point. We've now built a network where we can, we can corral all 300 printers at once and we can have them all behave as if they were a large OEM or tier one. We can make 300 parts at a time of something, right? Yeah, it's really remarkable. Tom, connected to the broader thread here, right? So, we, you know, we started off the conversation by talking about, you know, e-commerce acceleration and retail, but you made the statement that, you know, regardless of, of, uh, of industry, if I could paraphrase, this digital transformation is here to stay. We're not watching something, it's a pendulum swing going one and it'll settle back the other way. Um, why is digital transformation such an essential thing to figure out for industrial businesses right now? And I, I hate to give up such a softball early on here, but I want our listeners to really um, wrap their heads around this because I do think that some companies believe, well, I, I did all that. You know, I've, I've taken those steps. And I think sometimes people don't realize how fast this is all moving, but to your point of terms like Agile and others, um, some of the capabilities that are available today, your description of this distributed network of 3D printers that could operate like a unified force is really a remarkable statement. Well, the, the point you just made is, is very critical to understand. So technology is not an end state where, oh, I, I, you know, I bought my ERP system and I'm done. Uh, what do you mean I got to move into PLM? the box, I did it, right? The crisis that we're facing is a crisis of culture that we need to understand that technology is with us forever. It is the fabric that stitches together everything we do now as organizations that create value. And it, so, so when you look at what Amazon did, you know, they started in books and they said, we're going to build this little e-commerce path to disrupt the book market. And everybody in retail said, we got time. Well, they got less than 1% of the market time. You know how many times we heard that, right? They're, they're nobody. They're, they're coming up. We'll have plenty of time to react. What happened was Amazon was building culture, building culture, learning, 
taking the next step. Everybody that got to two-day delivery, what happened? Amazon had been preparing for a decade to go to one-day delivery, right? COVID hit and Amazon shined not because of, 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 of the fact that they had this big online retail presence. They shined because they had been building logistical mechanisms to handle this that was their birthright. That's what they believe in. So if you're in manufacturing and you are thinking that this, that these technological barbarians are at somebody else's gate, you are actually sadly mistaken. And one of the things we need to challenge our manufacturers is you have to start thinking like a tech company. And if you aren't the person that has that thought, then you need to bring in people that do think like tech uh, uh, people and and everything is going to be tied to software and collaboration and speed to market and rapid iteration. All of these things are coming to manufacturing. T Tom, you're spot on, and it's interesting. One of the things that we oftentimes talk about, based on the data and the trends that we're tracking, is that at some point, digital transformation is an ongoing horizon goal. You're always looking at how technology can enable your business, scale your business, advance your business. But at some point in time, digital transformation should start to enable business model transformation. And I, I think this, what you're describing with Project Diamond is to an extent, not to make it too buzzy here, but it is a bit of a business model transformation because you're talking about a remarkable amount of flexibility. You're talking about speed. You're talking about agility that frankly, for any one of these small to medium manufacturers, they didn't have that type of capability before. So while they might've been involved in some level of digital transformation, now what they're experiencing, I would argue, Tom, is a business model transformation. You are spot on, Tony. And you know we are Michigan's Industry 4.0 Knowledge Center. And we say there's three things you need to pay attention to to navigate this disruption. You need to understand the technologies that exist in the world that affect manufacturing. Things like AI, 3D printing, sensors, uh, advanced materials, all these things that are coming, AI uh, or uh, VR and, and AR, right? But, but that's the very last thing you need to focus on. The other two are financially, you need to have a strong balance sheet so you can invest in these technologies. Uh, so you have to be able to have a business that can kick off the excess cash you need to survive this transition. But most importantly, the pinnacle, the base of this triangle, uh, so it, it, the strength that you get is do you have a culture of learning? Do you, are you able to move fast? Are you able to fail fast? Are you able to say, what did we learn from that? And place all kinds of bets and say, I don't know which one's going to pay off but I like them all knowing that eight out of 10 are probably not gonna be the results we want, but that's how we iterate, right? And that's what happens with technology because you have the ability to, the ability to iterate so quickly and the risk is, is so minimized for any one little bet. That's how you build a universe of learning. And that's what all these manufacturers need to be doing going forward. Tom, I wanna to come back to the budget you know, related question here, but but let's stick with the culture for a minute. You know, there's the old Peter Drucker line of you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? You know, and, and I, I believe I, that. I, I I I have the scars to show it. Yes, I, you know. That's why Tesla is worth 900 billion and GM is worth 60 billion. It's a culture bet. It's not the technology bet. People don't dispute that GM has a great EV and autonomous culture or a, a strategy. What they're saying though is they don't have the culture to actually implement the strategy as they've laid it out. 
Let's unpack that just to, just for a second, Tom. So talk a little bit more, because I think for a lot of our listeners, particularly if they haven't started to more aggressively get involved in what you and I might consider Industry 4.0 or your advanced manufacturing technologies or techniques, this this sounds you know pretty far out to them. They, they're a little intimidated by it. And the idea of hey, fail faster, give this a try, you know, take the risk. Boy, you're you're doing CNC machining or some other things where risk isn't necessarily something that, that that's a part of your mindset every day. Talk a little bit about maybe some tips or or ideas that some of our listeners can start to think through to get a little bit more comfortable with taking those types of risks. Well, let's use your example of a CNC machine. So. Most of the CMC machines that exist in the small manufacturing community are not IIoT enabled yet, right? They don't have these sensors on them that allow me to monitor my production from somewhere else. Go buy a $25 Samsung sensor that measures vibration and heat and, 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 uh, and current and put it on a machine and say, did I learn anything? You could go, well, that didn't teach me anything I didn't know. Great, what, then what did you wanna know? Right, and how can I get that information? Um, another example would be if you're machining something, hire a kid out of college or, or still in college as an intern to say, convert this machined part into a file that I can print on a 3D printer. And then let's print it and see what happens. Let's see what it looks like. You know, it's gonna be diamondized and things, but, and then, what you begin to discover is there's a lot of inefficiency in how that seat part is made on a CNC machine because of the constraints of the machine itself. And all of a sudden, there's software that exists now like Autodesk Fusion, where you could say, I converted it to a 3D drawing. I'm just gonna give it to the computer, let the AI run, and it's gonna give me this lightweighted product back and go, my God, I would have never thought of that. And the efficiency of that new design may offset the cost to go to 3D printing. Right, so you all of a sudden could be in the 3D printing business. Look at GE's model of building the jet fuel nozzles with additive uh, metal powder because the geometry that they could contain now was so powerful and so efficient that they couldn't CNC machine them anymore because it just it wasn't the efficient solution the market demanded. Tom, your your description is perfect, and I think for a lot of our listeners, I, I, I would I would emphasize what Tom is saying here. The the experimentation is in software. So the, the, the flexibility of allowing you to have that experimentation without having to, you know, burn through a lot of, you know, raw materials or, you know, problematic parts or, or materials for on behalf of a, uh, of a customer there is, uh, is, is just remarkable. Hey, uh, let's go back to budget real quick, Tom. Um, link budget, because I think, again, for a lot of companies, it's like, hey, Tom, all well and good for you to say. You know, I'm running a small to medium business here. This stuff's expensive. You know, how, how do I how do I start to think about putting budgets together that would would allow me to step into some of these areas? Yeah, and and you know, in in many ways, that's a false narrative, right? Because your budget can be any level you want it to be. So, in other words, if you're running a million dollar manufacturing truck, really tiny, right? Million, two million dollars in in revenue, a couple people in the shop then you need to think of your budget in the 10 grand for the whole year range, right? <laughs> this That's all the budget I got, Tom, I got this little budget. Well, great, then let's talk about 
how many CNC machines you have, and can I put a little sensor on there? Go buy for $600 an HTC Vive VR headset, not for your kids, but for you, and get in there and say, hmm, I'm gonna download the Lincoln Electric How to Weld thing, and it's going to blow you away when you think, oh my God, I could probably bring someone in off the street, and after two days of playing the video game, could be an adequate welder. <laughs> you know, it, it starts to blow your mind. And what was that investment? It was $600, right? So you need to understand that the investment is not in the cost of stuff, the investment. And this is where they struggle, Tony. It's not in the dollars, it's in time. They need to carve out time, put your hair on fire out because it's a badge of honor in manufacturing that, you know what, Tom, from six in the morning till eight at night, I, I am in the shop with my guys and I'm putting out fires. And if not for me, the whole manufacturing office would collapse and we'd be out of business. He said, well, then you're out of business already. You're just surviving till the day that you're, the bullet with your name on it shows up. So you need to get out of this hair on fire mentality and into the real role you're supposed to play as the business owner, which is looking over the hill and around the bend because the hill and the bend come really fast now. You don't get a 10-year arc. In fact, GM and Ford or anybody else is never gonna show up again and say, hey guys, we're all going in this direction. Here's your arc to get QS 9000 over the next eight years. Those days are gone. They're gonna say, either you do it or you don't. I need it now, goodbye. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned virtual reality. And, and, and again, let's save that for a follow-up conversation. But the, the speed with which we can get people up to speed, pardon the inelegant expression there, um, where we would say, well, gee, it takes two years and this and that, and I'm not suggesting training and apprenticeships and, and trade uh, schools aren't critically important, but the speed with which we're watching people now through virtual reality get up to speed in understanding how to manage a technical solution or problem is just stunning. And so I, I highly recommend that. Hey, Tom, as we round out here a little bit, what advice would you offer manufacturers on, on overcoming some of the roadblocks we've seen with, with COVID-19? You know, you and I have been kind of leaning into the, the benefits, I hate to say benefits of COVID-19, but some of the benefits of the acceleration of digital transformation. Some, some companies have hit some real challenges. A any advice there as you kind of look across the landscape? Yeah, so, you know, um... I think what we can all agree on is that this digitization acceler has accelerated dramatically. And, you know, we're Michigan's Industry 4.0 Knowledge Center, Tony, but we're also a World Economic Forum Advanced Manufacturing Hub, one of 12 around the world. And that gives us uh, unique access to what is everybody else in the world thinking about when it comes to manufacturing, right? And to a T, what we're hearing when we all assemble uh, as a global body, what we're hearing from all our constituents around the world, uh, fellow constituents, is it used to be that manufacturing had one outcome, perfect efficiency. That's why China won all the game, because they had a great efficient model to do very high scale, high volume production of anything you wanted. And for the first time in my career, uh, which sadly is getting long, <laughs> not shorter, right? It's, it's pretty getting to be a longer career. For the first time in manufacturing in my career, I'm hearing that resiliency and agility is gonna start to enter into the equation. Almost every large manufacturer I talk to says, 
we've pulled the efficiency rubber band so far to one side, it needs to come back to a level and we need to also focus on resiliency and agility. So if you are a small manufacturer or a mid-sized manufacturer, be thinking about how that strategy, how globalization will snap back a little bit and say, yeah, maybe in, in region production is also equally compelling. Not all of it. We're still gonna do the bulk in China or Mexico or some low cost uh, Vietnam, but we're gonna start building plants where we can do a little bit of resilient and agile production. That plays into America's hands very strongly. And you better have a strategy for that because it's coming. And what, you, you know, it, it doesn't have to all go to Austin, right? <laughs> the, rest, right the rest of the U.S. can win too. Tom, I want to thank you so much again. Tom Kelly, CEO of Automation Alley, thanks for joining us. And Tom, as usual, I look forward to having you back on the program for more insights. Thank you, Tony, for having me and, and great conversation. Thank you. Next up, we'll hear from Mike Cady, who is the America's Director of Central, West, and Latin America at Mark Forged. Mark Ford's additive manufacturing platform and line of 3D printers were selected as the technological backbone of the 3D printing effort behind Project Diamond. Manufacturers participating in the project gained industrial strength 3D printing capabilities and could directly print PPE and things like nasal swabs and face shields in addition to replacing and printing industrial strength parts needed to keep up with equipment maintenance demands. So, Mike, first off, welcome. Thrilled that you're involved in this, and we're really excited. We think this is a, a project that could very well become nationwide and, and really be, be something that could help revolutionize the manufacturing industry. Yeah, we, we at Mark Forge degree, and we're excited about Project Diamond, and we're just getting started. <laughs> right. Well, talk a little bit about that, Mike. You know, how did you get involved? And, and, you know, if you can just kind of talk about the kind of early, you know, conception of the project and your impressions of it. And then I've got a few more questions about how it's going and where do you think it's ultimately going to go? Sure, sure. Um, so <clears throat> we got involved with Project Diamond. Um, it, was, it, was, it was interesting, Tony. So we were engaged via referral from a former customer. And with a clear understanding of um, the vision and the scope of the initiative, uh, this former customer was confident that only Mark Forge could deliver this type of program. That's a great testimonial to you. It, it, it is, right. Um, and, and his assessment was, you know, only Mark Forge can deliver um, this type of program with quality and pace to meet both the timeframes and the required capabilities um, while mitigating any risks that might be associated with uh, the overall investment. And, and Mike, any, any early metrics or measurements, you know, this is one of these to, to, to some of our listeners, boy, they've been, you know, they, they understand 3D printing. They're probably very actively involved in it. Some of our listeners probably still see it as kind of futuristic technology and, and probably points in between. Any early results or metrics or measurements that, that you're comfortable sharing about kind of what lessons learned? Yeah, we can talk. Um, so just to bring some context forward here, right? So um, we began shipment and delivery um, in late November. So uh, in November, we delivered 103 uh, to 103 locations. Um, another shipment set on December 20, uh, 28th to 126 additional locations. And then last week of January, about another 47 delivered. So we've got about 26 more to roll out. Um, 
but but here's here's some uh, key performance indicators we look at this early, right? We're just getting folks up and running. Um, the the contact rates are fantastic. So 211 of the 274 customers we've been in direct contact with thus far. Um, again, a couple just rolling out here in late January. 167 of them, we've already had purposeful customer success meetings, introductions, advanced application discussions. Um, the enthusiasm and excitement is overwhelming for my uh, customer success team. We've identified about 28, what we would call high growth um, customers that we believe are making this part of their, uh, their daily process and transforming the way they do business to help strengthen manufacturing in the United States. Um, we're also hearing that uh, some of the custom programs that we put together uh, to drive adoption, utilization and value realization of the investment um, are, are working out very, very well. So we're getting a lot of positive feedback around our additive curriculum via Mark Forge University. And um, what's really interesting, Tony, is customers that have never been exposed to 3D printing before um, are now producing parts to re replace processes in their existing workflows. These customers, yeah, I mean, these customers are, they're, they're monetizing these processes inside of their business and even selling parts to their customers to address, um, you know, critical application work streams that were historically either done subtractively or outsourced to third party. Look. Love hearing that, Mike, because you, you, you kind of opened the door to the next question I was going to ask is, are you finding that for this to work early on, it's got to be some company that's had some level of familiarity with 3D or, you know, that, that's had additive manufacturing understanding or awareness. And it sounds like that's not necessarily the case. That, that's not necessarily the case. And we talk to a lot of um, we talk to a lot of customers. We've got 12,000 customers uh, worldwide across about 73 countries. Um, and what we've learned is um, it's more than just the technology, Tony. When, when you get into this business, you've got to down select partners that are focused on the people and the process around the technology to help you get off the ground and running and drive success early on so you can drive a strong initial return on investment um, in, in this type of disruptive technology. Yeah, I think that's such a, a key point, Mike, and I would emphasize that for our listeners. You know, I think it is easy to get um, overly fixated on, on what is still an advanced or new technology to a lot of people and think that it has some sort of properties to it that are magical and all those types of things. And there is certainly that side of additive manufacturing. But I think what you're really talking about is is a change in business process. And in, and to a certain extent, you can, you're hinting at this, Mike, I'm a huge fan that digital transformation eventually gives way to business model transformation. So you're actually helping these companies to create new ways of looking at their business. And that might maybe business model transformation is a step too far in the terminology, but you know what I mean? This is going to create new capabilities, new ways of looking at processes that maybe they haven't looked at for years. That's spot on. That's spot on. We, um, you know, the, the advice I'd give to folks that are looking at getting into um, this space is um, step away for the, from the technology in the back of the brochure. You talk about business model. It's so important 
to focus on the business problems that you're trying to solve and monetize, right? The current call it pain or existing state that you're in, right? In other words, establish the financial impact or value at stake that exists if you can solve the problems. Because too often we see companies that are just focused on the technology and what it can do and they, and they miss on the why additive, why now business value proposition, and then their initiative slowly dies on the vine or they get the technology and they're slow to adopt and they don't capture business value and, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's sunk cost, right? Well, I think related to that, Mike, too, I was, I, it doesn't surprise me at all, but I was impressed to hear that you've got a customer success team. We talk to companies a lot where we say, you know, the, the, you got to shift into a customer experience mindset. You got to you got to put yourself literally in the shoes of the customer because you could have customer support, you could have customer service, but customer experience is something very different than that. And taking that attitude of you know I really want to understand my customer's experience and I want to to a certain extent live it with them is going to enable you to be successful at this. So it's I'm impressed again, not surprised, but I'm impressed you guys have have. Uh, have have added that uh, to to your uh, to your approach with customers. Talk a little bit, Mike, about you know what have you seen actually on the factory floor? You kind of hinted at this in some of the kind of KPIs. What are you starting to see on the factory floor? Kind of a two step question here. And are there some kind of examples you might give? And then I want to steer the conversation into what advice you would give to companies who've not yet added. Um, additive manufacturing or 3D printing to their, uh, to their processes. Sure. Sure. So, um, so first off, Mark Forge, um, has a history of transforming manufacturing with 3D metal and continuous carbon fiber, uh, printing platforms that are capable of producing parts strong enough for the factory floor. Um, we, we see value streams in three areas, right? We're helping customers uh, secure a competitive edge, whether it's through supply chain optimization and resiliency um, or responsiveness to market trends and demands, which we've seen with the recent pandemic um, and leveraging this type of platform to innovate and get to market quicker, right? Um, the, other, the other areas we see um, increased revenues and profits for our customers' business. So, um, call it cost reduction, cost avoidance, um, minimizing unplanned downtime, inventory reduction with our digital platform. And, and what we're really seeing now is less reliance on expensive labor and third party suppliers, um, whereby existing uh, pricing models are all over the board, right? Um, as an outcome of the pandemic. And then um, I think the third area, as I think about it, is just more efficient and productive manufacturing, right? So faster line changeover, uh, startup efficiency, greater yields, um, simplified assemblies, and just overall lead time reduction in the manufacturing life cycle. I think those, as I look at like the impact on the manufacturing floor, um, that's where, those are the three areas we're seeing customers. Yeah. Hey Mike, exciting times, uh, congrats. And uh, we'd love to check back in with you and the team at Mark Forge to watch this play out and we're huge advocates for the adoption of uh, uh, all advanced uh, manufacturing technology, but real excited with what you've done. Congrats again and uh, continued success. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for having us.
And finally, we'll hear from Melissa Brown, who's the Director of Operations at Avon Machining, and Noah Zielinski, who first joined Avon as a summer engineering intern back in 2019 and is now a mechanical engineering technician with a particular interest in 3D printing. Avon Machining, which is a member of Automation Alley in Michigan, has been leveraging 3D printing as a part of Project Diamond. Hey, very excited to, to introduce the third of three uh, podcast interviews we have related to the uh, Project Diamond program and uh, excited to welcome our friends at Avon Machining, which is a Michigan-based manufacturer which has been leveraging 3D printing as a part of the project. The company is also a member of Automation Alley. So welcome Noah Zielinski, who joined Avon as a summer engineering intern back in 2019 and now serves as a mechanical engineering technician with a particular interest in 3D printing. And welcome as well, Melissa Brown, who is the director of operations at Avon Machining. So great, why don't we get right into it? And Melissa, can you tackle the question is, what, what did Avon Machining see in this program and why did you decide to participate? So we came across an email, it was an outreach email from Automation Alley uh, targeting uh, the community, Macomb Township and other local communities, other, other townships in the area. And um, it was relating to the 3D printing uh, for PPE purposes. And as we all know, 2020 was an unprecedented challenging year. So um, people were being creative with all the PPP manufacturing. So we had applied for the um, Automation Alley uh, print, 3D printing offering and we were awarded the program. Um, so being very excited to you know, help the community out in any, any way that we can. And we also have a team of engineers that absolutely love everything 3D printing. Uh, 3D printing is a newbie to the world and um, these guys just love to play with it. They, you know, they like to just, you know, tinker with it and you know build things but it, we've also found that um, 3d printing can be useful to what we do here in our shop and um, you know Noah can speak to that more um, as we continue um, but we, we thought we could maybe make a difference and at the same time learn more about 3d printing and this new um, wave that it may have to manufacturing Hey, Melissa, it makes great sense. I think, you know, kind of doing good by doing good is a really smart way to think about these types of programs. And, it, and it's clear you've had an impact in, in both ways. Can, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what, what sort of an impact can you see uh, from the program? It's still early. And, and Melissa, to your point, these are still early days, even though a lot of people think of 3D printing and additive manufacturing as kind of old news. It's not. We're still at the very early days of this. But can you and Noah talk a little bit about what you've seen, what impact it's had on the business? Yeah, I can start with that. Um, we've cut costs on many accessories to our uh, covers for machines, accessories for tooling and for fixturing. Um, we've decreased the lead times on getting fixturing put together and uh, having machines operate more smoothly, whether it be putting turret covers on there um, by 3D printing them overnight and having them on the next morning um, versus like a six week lead time in a machine part. Um, we've done a lot of laser fixturing, a lot of T-slot fixturing. Um, we've printed some parts to take to outsourcers or suppliers um, to work on setups for heat treating and different operations like that. 
Uh, as, long, er, as well as uh, just some simple things. We've printed a camera cover for the webcams and um, we've printed some ear savers for our logistics manager's wife, who's an IC nurse. <laughs> Talk about timely, right? You know, it's interesting, no, with, with um, all three interviews we've done as a part of Project Diamond, we, we've been talking uh, about that, you know, the, the common journey here is all of our companies are on some level of a digital transformation. And additive manufacturing is an example of digital transformation. But what you're starting to touch on here is that digital transformation is enabling business model transformation. Right, whether that be in saving costs or producing different types of products, it looks like you've got. If I'm seeing clearly in your uh, conference room there, you've got a few of your digitally uh, printed parts there, right? Yes. So we have a part right here. Um, this is coming from a new job um, that we've recently been awarded that we've been taking to our outsourcers and suppliers to work on uh, setting up processes. Um, we have some T-slot fixturing right here, which we've used for our laser laser engraver, um, as well as uh, setting up just some simple CNC fixtures for uh, inspection purposes, um, as well as this is the camera cover here um, that I designed for our conference room camera, and we just put our initials up on there. Very cool. Hey, Melissa, back to you. Did you notice as you got involved in the program, you know, you were talking about, you know, the engineers kind of, uh, I'll paraphrase what you said, geeking out about 3D technology, 3D printing technology. Were there any cultural barriers? Did, did you find any struggles with adoption or, or anything people were concerned about? No, not at all. And actually, I, you know, I wasn't really clear on what we were getting into with the Automation Alley. You know, when it was initially rolled out, it was um, due to PPE and, you know, the need for possible um, production of in the event, you know, we couldn't keep up pace with what we had. Um, you know, and then it, it transformed, you know, it really turned into something so much bigger than what initially started. And I think that this was uh, a great, an unfortunate reason, but it was a great opportunity to take advantage of introducing 3D printing into manufacturing. Um, you know, the grant monies awarded these printers to the companies and you know, it gave us it gave us a different perspective on how we could use that 3D printer. And for our team here, you know, we're always looking for continuous improvement. You know, asking what can we do better, how can we do better. You know, it, it's not all about cost savings, but those are always welcome. Um, and it's it's just about making sense. You know, and with this, if we can do something on a 3D printer, and you know, the material is, um, you know much, much harder and denser than what you could have, what you would ever think it would be. Um, if we can use that practically, uh, why not, right? So I think that that's what this really became. It was, you know, it, was, it started out with something small, you know, with the PPE, but it's really, it, again, this is a newbie that's coming out, and I think it's going to transform, you know, the way we do things later. Good stuff. And, and uh, again, our thanks to our friends at Avon Machining for being a part of this and uh, helping us tell the story about Project Diamond. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Update podcast. To hear the rest of my conversation with today's guest, check out the extended video cut now available on YouTube and linked in the show notes of this episode.